I'm Sidney Walensky. I was an editor on The Sopranos. You're listening to Pada Bing. I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And if you like what we're doing, please spread the word. If you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at Potabang on Instagram. And as always, thank you for listening and being a part of this journey. Coming up is my conversation with Sidney Walensky. Sidney was an editor on The Sopranos. That means he cut the show into, more or less, the final presentation of what we, as viewers, saw. He's one of a handful of people that has seen things that were shot for The Sopranos that you and I will never get to see. Kind of crazy when you think about it. Sidney worked on episodes throughout the series, including the series finale. He was partially responsible for all that paranoia and tension we as viewers still have every time we watch that sequence and seemingly wish for a different outcome or different version or something. At least that's me every time I see it. Sidney shared his soprano story and more. So here it is, my conversation with Emmy winner and Oscar nominee, Sidney Walensky. Sydney, thank you for being here. You're welcome. To those unfamiliar, describe the work of a film editor. Um, well, typically in a dramatic film or television series, they shoot a lot of film. They shoot what's called coverage on scenes, meaning they'll shoot a wide shot, uh, um, loose, you know, uh, uh, medium shot, uh, over shoulders and close-ups, and they'll cover each scene with a lot of film. And the editor is the person who takes all that film and initially makes all the decisions as to how to put that film together to create the scenes the way they were written in the script. And how did you get started on this career path? I went to film school many years ago, and uh, when I went, I only went because I was a film sort of a film nut, and I didn't know anything about making films. I did not grow up in California or know anybody in film, so... Grew up in Canada, right? I grew up in Canada, yeah, in Winnipeg. Um, so I decided I'd go to school after getting a, a degree in English-American literature. I decided I'd go to f- graduate school for film and discovered I liked editing most of all, so I decided to pursue that as a career. And... How'd you get the bug in Canada? What gave you the bug for film? Usually people are around the industry or tangentially related to California. How did you find it up there? Was it a movie? Was it a moment? I don't know. Well, it was mostly in college, although I, you know, I went to high school in Montreal, and so I used to go to these little art houses where they had French films. I saw, like, last year, Marion Bad and odd, odd foreign films. And then when I went to college, I basically only went to art film, mostly, you know. So, you know, those were the days when uh, the art, those theaters had a double bill that changed every day. So you could see Potemkin and Alexander the Great, and then the next day it would be uh, Grand Illusion and uh, and Rules of the Game, and then it would be uh, Shoot the Piano Player and another Truffaut film or something. So I used to go to all those films and uh, periodically see a Hollywood film, but those were the days when you kind of looked down down on Hollywood films. Sure. 
What project did you work on early in your career that put you on the map, so to speak? Hey, I'm still looking for a job. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's the are, film right? industry. Yeah. Uh, um, well, you know, it's really the people you work with. And um, I guess if I were to call it a break, uh, I got a job assisting Richard Marks on a film called uh, The Hand, which was Oliver Stone's first feature, although he might have done some low-budget mm. film before that. And uh, then, I, and Richie was a very high-profile editor. He had just done Apocalypse, and uh, he had moved to New York, or he would moved from New York to here. And then I did Pennies from Heaven with him. And after that, I uh, decided I wanted to cut and looked for a cutting jobs. So that was sort of my first big break, and working with him was, you know, very helpful. And then he hired me on terms of endearment as his additional editor and helped me get a job on a film called Best Defense, which was a paramount feature with Dudley Moore and Eddie Murphy. And, you know, little by little, you meet people and you get jobs. And sure. hopefully the films are successful and the people go on to make other films. And, you know, that's sort of a hit or miss. What can I say? Um some of these questions are, a lot of young people listen to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, First-time viewers, second-time viewers of the show. So, sure. So, uh, thank you for indulging some of the career-oriented no, stuff. No, that's, I, I'm happy to, if you want to talk more about it, I'm happy to talk about it. I have more. I have okay, more. I just, right. to, I just wanted to lay the foundation. Okay. Um, what are your guideposts before commencing any editing project? Um, the most important thing is really to know the script, like inside and out. So, I read the script over and over and over, maybe three, four times. Uh, usually I've read it a couple of times before I had an inter- the interview, if I went on an interview. If not, I just really try to understand the script and what the what the structure of it is, what the meaning is, the nuances, really understand it because that's the basis of everything. So to me, I guess that's the most one, that's the most important thing in terms of preparation as to edit a project. Whether that- Whether it's a a feature film or a series, reading an episode, script, whatever. As it pertained to The Sopranos, what was your visibility? Like, how? when did you get the script in the process? Uh, was it a more condensed, obviously TV versus film was, I would imagine, slightly more condensed, but what was your visibility? Well, it, it's not necessarily condensed. So the an, an hour episode is shorter than a two-hour feature film. So a script for an hour episode is usually... 50, 60, 70 pages, depending on the script. Um, we would get the scripts, uh, you know, the the writers, certainly on The Sopranos, and most series I've been on, have been on are writing as the show is being produced. So you get the scripts sometimes just before they start shooting. It depends, really. It depends on the show. and But, you know, maybe a week before sometimes, two weeks, maybe a couple of days. It really varies. I mean, if you're on a feature, there's a fully formed script before you start. I mean, that's, as I said, they don't put a feature into production without a script. <laughs> but on a series, uh, they go full speed ahead without, you know, with the first couple of scripts written. And and then, they, you know, they have obviously, they've laid out the, the arc of the series or the, or the season, but they're writing while you're, while you're cutting and the directors are shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Um- as compared to other shows that you've worked on, 
the common refrain that I've gotten and everybody that I've talked to in the show so far is that the scripts were very tight on The Sopranos. Um, can you corroborate that? Is it more so than others? Or um, I wouldn't say necessarily, to be quite honest. Um, in fact, David liked really long scripts, and there was a lot in there that never that they shot, but we cut out. Um, the scripts are really good. Uh, everybody, myself included, looked forward to the next script and read it, you know, eagerly because they were so good and often very funny and, uh, you know, surprising. And not just because of the plot, but just because of the way they written the language, the you know, the dramatic interactions. In terms of tight... I've never worked on a film where, or a series where you don't read the script over and over again, and then you shoot that it gets shot, and you look at this scene and you say, "We don't need this scene. This is totally redundant. Got to get rid of it." So I, I wouldn't say that was different with the Sopranos than any other other show. Um, I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire on this, but you're probably one of a few people that has seen more. Sopranos footage that did not see the light of day uh, than uh, there's probably a handful of people and you're probably one of them. How much was left on the cutting room floor? Can you quantify it? I can't quantify it. It, it varied It varied with, um, with the show and the script, really. I mean, I think one show we cut down to like 43 minutes or something and I was even, I remember I was in a building, we were cutting in a building on Olympic and beside our office, it was like a high-rise office suite, was like an arbitration suite. There were judges, I guess, and I'd go in the bathroom sometimes with them, and I guess they were all Sopranos fans. And uh, one day I was at, you know, at the urinal beside this judge, and he turned to me and he said, why was, why was last week's show so short? So sometimes David would just, I had, I had shows that were like, my first cut might have been 70 minutes long, and it ended up, up like 51 minutes or something like that. But I guess David got a lot of flack for cutting that one show down because at the end of that season, I tried to persuade him to lose some stuff. And he said, no, 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 everyone complained the shows are too short. So, Wow. It's, you know, it varies really on how, how long the original script was, how stuff works. I mean, David really cut stuff for making the shows work, you, you know, irrespective of length. But there was no constraint in terms of it being on HBO. It could have gone, it could have, they could have run... Uh, or well, was time a constraint? Well, I think it couldn't be longer than 59 minutes. Okay. I mean, David obviously probably could and did. At certain certain episodes were a little longer. I think Whitecaps was yeah. about 72 minutes, and the final episode was like 61 or something. And I'm sure David could have gone to them every 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 week and made it longer. But he respected the—because uh, it was so successful— but he respected the the limitation of it couldn't be longer than I think fifty nine or fifty eight point you know and a half I, I'm not sure but it couldn't be longer than an hour basically with the credits. Some might argue that the final episode is actually still ticking along. It's the longest finale ever. Um, at least yeah. at least in terms of being discussed. Well, the black um, is still going on. For the sure. black is still going yeah. on. For <laughs> sure. That's what I meant. Yeah, Never really. Um, is editing a solitary process, or is it in conjunction with a lot of people, or is it a mixture of both? And well, which do you prefer? What is your... Well, it's a mixture, because okay. uh, when they're shooting and you're getting film, you're all by yourself. I mean, you may occasionally get a visit from the director if you're in the same city. Yeah. Um, 
you may get some notes, or but you're basically doing it on your own. You're cutting it. You're putting it together according to the script. You were cutting in California while the show. Yes. Was, okay. Yes. Um, and uh, then, typical for the for the Sopranos, you'd you know the director would get his cut, and the, the directors will give his directors four days for their cut, and he would come in. He or she. I don't think there were any women that I work with on The Sopranos. Anyways, um, would come in and I'd do a director's cut and then we'd go off to David. And pretty much David was the only other person who gave me input. He was the only other person. And with him, you know, he was in New York and uh, the first number of seasons, we would just send him, at the time it was VHS tapes, and he would send notes and we'd send it back and I'd do the notes and periodically we might have a short phone call. And... uh, then at the end of the season, he came back and worked on the last couple of shows. And then later on, we had a satellite hookup with him so he could actually work with us during the season. Uh, the, in the later part, the latter, like the la- final seasons? The last number of seasons, yeah. Um, but mostly it was, on this, you know, on other shows, you'll do the director's cut, then the showrunner will do a cut, then you send it to the network, and they'll they'll put in their two cents, and on a feature, it's the same kind of thing. It's just the time frames are different. The director has 10 weeks on a feature, and if he has final cut, he's, you know, he'll be there the whole time, and even if he doesn't, he would be there the whole... But then you have the producers, and you have the studio, and you preview, and... With with The Sopranos, it was the editor's cut, which is your cut, and then it was... Director's cut. Director's cut, and that was it. He had. Well, then it was a, then it was the producer's cut. Okay. Did those vary? Very. Oh, very In much. In terms so. of they did. Oh yeah, you okay. bet. Interesting. Yeah. Um, at what stage does your process begin? I begin the day they start shooting. I okay. Mean, you know, as soon, I can't do anything until there's film. And you get the dailies. Until I, uh, yeah, when I get the dailies. So the second day of shooting, I get the first day's dailies, and I start cutting them. And at what? point does your process end once the director has accepted your cut is that, or- no i'm there all the way through uh for for a, a series i'm there essentially all the way till the sound is finished although typically on a series the editor will not be involved in the dub he might see a playback and give feedback but but certainly i'm there the whole time um and this is mostly for me actually what are the because i'm a nerd uh what are the tools of the trade uh, for for me, it's a system called Avid, okay. which is, I think, the predominant system. I would say for with, audio, it's Pro Tools, with, so it's, it's and a, it's also owned by Avid. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, did they, the the Sopranos was shot on film? What? How did that? How did that change your tools of the trade, or what was that? What did that do as far as your workflow and process? Uh, it really had no effect. Okay. Uh, there, you know, they tell us you need the dailies, and we got a digital. You know, we got a drive or whatever. So you get a digital version of it. Yeah, we get got a digital it. version. The only thing is, I guess, when it was when you're cutting on stuff that was originally on film, you actually have the key numbers. So there's there's Avid, there's Final Cut, and then there's Premiere. Is there a reason uh, one prefers one over the other, or it, where, where does that um, where does that hierarchy? take root it's hard to say i mean final cut not a lot of people use it i did a couple of shows on it i think sometimes editors who come out of i'm told this who come out of commercials i think they use final cut a lot and then they continue using it i don't know i didn't i was not 
a big fan of Final Cut, but I it was a condition of employment, so I used it. Of course. Uh, I just actually had a training on Adobe Premiere, and I didn't, just out of curiosity, and it seemed like just sort of Final Cut on steroids. Yeah. Uh, don't quote me on this stuff. No, no, and again, this is just, but, this is just uh, casual conversation. I, I is, think Avid is just an incredibly great uh, user interface. It, it just it works so well, and of course, I, I know it. Of course. It's just you know, part of my body, sort of. And it's also the oldest, I would imagine, right, as far as the... Well, uh, it's the oldest surviving one. It yeah. came out in the, you know, the early 90s. I think s- simultaneous with it was there were a bunch of systems, but I guess the most successful was Lightworks, which has kind of withered and died away, although I think it still exists. And I think Thelma Schoonmakers actually still cuts on it. But The Sopranos was cut on Avid. Avid from day one, yes. Okay. When you're watching the finished product, meaning me or like a, a fan of cinema and film, when is it apparent that something is editing versus something else? I guess another way of asking that question is, can you see editing? Are you supposed to be able to see it? Well, I mean, it's it should be invisible, on, on, but you shouldn't notice it. But every time there's a change of angle, that's a cut. You know, when you go from a close-up of you to a close-up of me to the shot of your hand holding the pen to the shot of the microphone and the, the engineer outside, every time you you change the visual, it's a cut. So, you know, but you're kind of speaking a visual language using very well-understood conventions. So you don't see them as individual cuts, I think. It's almost like when we're talking, you don't notice every word. Right. Uh, and it's sort of the same kind of thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm asking it from the standpoint of like, I, I heard somewhere, I read somewhere where you said like your number one job or as you see it is to tell the story. Yeah, um, this and, is true, yes. And so, and so that makes me feel like, like what, what, does the, what can an editor do to, to kind of put their signature on the visual? Um, well, it, I, I mean, and I'm not trying to ask it in like a like a narcissistic sort of like egotistical way. Like that's my work. I did that. I just want to know if there's an if there's a spirit to it. Like when the director looks at it, or or someone looks at it and is like, "Oh, that was all. That was you. You did that. I see what you did there, or something." Is there a way to quantify that? Well, I mean, there may be an idea that I had that the director, you know, thinks was a great idea, and you know, and and I did it. But you know, it's all in the service of the same thing. I mean, okay, okay. You know, I mean, uh, I don't know. Because the show is a masterclass in cuts. There are several episodes, and I was looking for the name of one. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but where there are so many cuts. I don't think you did. You know, it was the university episode. Um, All right. Where the cuts are almost, it's almost, it's an out-of-body experience, kind of. And does that does that happen in the cutting room, or does is that, is the, is that in the script? No, or? that's that's not that stuff is not in the script. Okay, that's what I'm getting. Yes, at. no, okay. that's not in the script. Okay, yeah, um, because the cuts convey so many things in the show, in this show in particular, and that's kind of where I'm going with this. Like, wow, like why did why did they why did they do like why did they cut that? A lot of times it would cut from Meadow to the Bada Bing to a young girl at the Bada Bing, or it would cut from some really terrible, horrific 
event to family dinner at The Sopranos. Well, that kind of stuff, I think, is it very well be, may be scripted. Okay. I can't remember that episode that well. It was not my episode. But yeah. I think one of the, if I remember, one of the whole ideas of that episode was to contrast Meadow and her life with the, I believe it was a stripper. Yeah. And the, her life. Yeah. Um, so that was, I think, a script concept. Whether, whether the specific cuts or, you know, and where you change from scene to scene was actually in the script, I don't know. And okay. It very likely may have been. So how did you become involved with The Sopranos? What were you doing immediately before, and how did that, how did that job happen? Well, uh, about 10 years earlier, I cut a uh, movie of the week, which actually was a pilot, I guess, for a sh- with David that he wrote and directed called... Uh, <laughs> what the hell was that, David? Oh, God. Uh, I can't believe I can't remember the name of it. Um, almost Grown. Okay. Almost Grown. And it became a series. I did not work on the series, but I did the, uh, the it was a two-hour. And I didn't even, when I was working on it, I didn't even realize it was a pilot. It sounds almost unbelievable. But, and then David came in one day and said, they picked it up. So I got to know David, and I guess he was happy with me. So he called me when he was looking for editors for the pilot for The Sopranos. And I read it. I really liked the script. And to make a long story short, he called and said, you know, he chose someone else. He was, he was a really hard decision. And I said, look, I love the script. Give me a call if, you know, I'd be, love to work on the series. And so about a year later, I got a call that they were going to start doing the series and would I like to do it. That's how it happened. You started on 46 Long, which was the second episode. W- yes. Why didn't you do the pilot? Was it, t- was it a scheduling thing or? David didn't choose me. Oh, he he was looking you. at three editors. Okay. That's why, what I said. He was looking at three editors. Got it that he all knew, and he called and said, I, I didn't choose you, I'm really sorry, it was a hard decision. And that's when I said, please call me if it goes to series. Because may I say, those were the days when HBO actually did a pilot and then made a decision to pick it up rather than, you know, hiring some prestigious filmmaker. And, or <laughs> I won't even get into that. Okay, yeah. But... Uh, so you worked on 33 episodes. Um, right. Why, why not 86? Like, how does that work? Like, how, how, who decides who's going to edit the show and what goes, what goes into that process? Well, typically, most series have three editors. Okay. And uh, they go in rotation. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Got it. And uh, I was the first on. So I ended up, you know, I did every fourth episode, I guess. You know, yeah. So that's, it's pretty, a pretty standard setup. Got it. There, nowadays, you see some, some of these Netflix shows where they have one editor for eight episodes or something. They are different. But typically for as usual series, they have three editors. It just works out the best because one editor has to be cutting a new show. One editor has to be working with the director and then the producers. And then, you know, by the time the third editor is finished with all the stuff he's doing, he's ready to start a new show. So it, it were, it's worked out that way. What was it like looking at James Gandolfini's dailies? Was it a challenge to figure out which... No, he was great. One thing about The Sopranos is all those actors were incredible, were really great. And, I mean, some of those performances were... I just cut the performance. Edie Falco and Gandolfini together, it was like, oh, my God. It was just... You'd look at the dailies, and it would 
the, the, it was all there. You didn't have to create anything. The Whitecaps episode in particular. Oh yeah, those um, fights there they a, had. Was it a challenge, or was it all was it all there on one or two takes, or is there? Well, like, there's always how much a ch- material were you looking at to figure out which one to use because it was so so perfect and timeless. Well, they're both so good. I mean, they were good in all their angles. So you you just choose where you want to get closer and who you want to be on for a certain line and and what you want to accentuate by getting closer on a line or whatever. But the performances were so good. It was it was really pretty simple to cut those scenes. It was just it was kind of exciting actually because they they were so good. Edie Falco. James was great. Edie Falco was unbelievable in how well she learned the, her lines. I could never, never seen anybody like her, actually. Amazing. Uh, truly, both the two of them, especially yeah. on, on screen together. Um, David Chase, what can you say about him, working with him? Um, he's very thoughtful. He mostly knows what he wants. Um, he doesn't do anything sort of capriciously. He just... He understands the scripts inside and out and what what they're about and what each line means and each word is supposed to imply. And yet he's he's open to feedback, which is good. Uh, that's that's about it. What episodes that you worked on stand out the most, good or bad? Here's a list if you want it. God, I should go by memory, you know, because... Uh, Let's see. I mean, bad. I can't think of any bad. Uh, the college episode was really fun. What about it made it fun? Uh, it was just such a such a bizarre. The, the, all the ideas, you know, that he's a mafia guy going out to, you know, to take his <laughs> his daughter to to uh, kind of East Coast Ivy League type, you know schools and at the same time he's checking out a rat and uh, meanwhile the uh, Carmela is toying with you know having an affair with this priest at home and and then the last scene where she says the priest spent, spent the night and he said you're kidding and then he says oh he's gay right I don't know it was, I remember that last scene was so fun, funny yeah. I remember reading it to my wife when I got the the script, uh, which I probably, it's probably a violation of my non-disclosure agreement. No, that's okay. It's statute of limitations <laughs> has passed, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, probably. I, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Proche Levushka is an episode that you did. Um, the CGI. Which is that? Proche Levushka is the episode where uh, Livia Soprano dies. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, the CGI uh, of her, any story behind that? Not really. Uh, you know, David wrote it exactly that way he he wrote it with lines that she, you know that actress had said in other episodes that he knew she had said it was basically her greatest hits something like that yeah, yeah. um they we cut it i can't remember how we cut it and then some you know they shot the you know the body double in new york and copped it i can't remember all the details um uh, that that's about it. Yeah, it's it's to, from your vantage point. It's kind of like yeah, we did it uh, to people that have watched the show multiple times over. It's the one thing that's out of place, if you will. I actually am a fan of it, but there's two schools of thought that it should just not have been in there, versus the people that are like you need to see her one last time. And I liked it because it was her greatest hits, but not been there because it didn't work. Because because of the visual, because she is uh, like. Well, the body superimposed double. onto the screen, and she just doesn't. It doesn't fit in terms of 
she's in the frame, but she you can tell that she's kind of right. superimposed. You know, I can't remember it that well, but I have to believe that these days that could have been done. These days for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not, was not in any way involved in, you know, doing the CGI or choosing the company or, you know, so I, I can't remember. You yeah. Know, when you get so close to those things, it's hard to, at the time, it's hard sure. to make an assessment. Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I go on record being a Sopranos apologist in every regard and say that it needed to be there because she couldn't just disappear. You needed to see her one more time. I think time. that's what David thought. Yeah. 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 She's massively important. Yeah. Um, second Opinion is another episode you did. You may or may not have a thought on this, but the final sequence Remind is, me is what beautiful. the episode, the content of it is? Uh, it is the episode where uh, Carmela sees a therapist, uh, a, an individual man who tells her to leave Tony. And um, oh, that old guy, the old guy, Sonny Boyer. Boyer, yeah, Yeah. he passed away two weeks before the episode aired. Right, Um, brilliant performance. Uh, One of the one of the top ten scenes in the show. Yeah, and Tony wasn't even in it when Uh, she's he's he says, "How's that working out? How's that working out for you?" And her saying that I just I just make his dinner and iron his clothes, and he says, "Well, an enabler would be a better characterization of your yeah." Oh, it's great stuff. Um, that episode, the final sequence where uh, Carmela's on the couch and she can barely get up and Tony comes in uh, to the house and he sits down and it's constant cuts from him to her and you see his face sort of become solemn and he says, you know, you look like you could use a night off from the kitchen. Why don't we eat out? The music is a song by Anils Lofgren, who is part of the Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen E Street Band. He wasn't at the time. Just a beautiful sequence. Yeah. Any memory of that? Any thought there? It was a perfect use of... I can't of, remember the end. Okay. I mean, and I didn't pick any of the music, so I that honestly I know, can't remember yeah. the end. Even in like a temp score, that wasn't, was that song wasn't already determined? That there that was, was a, never a temp score. There was never a temp score. Okay. In, on these shows. I All mean, right. a song was picked, and if David liked it, David pretty much picked most of the songs. Yeah. yeah, he was the music supervisor. He was, and there's no score, as you know, right. in these shows, right. yeah. Um, I had to ask, because it's one of my favorite sequences. Very emotional, very just sort of like uh, crescendo, and th- th- that episode was building up so much, and then all of a sudden, it just leaves you feeling like gasping, like almost like the finale. Yeah. Um, you worked on the series finale. I segued myself. I did. Um, you worked on the series finale. How was working on that episode different from the others in terms of process, in terms of execution? Well, the, what was different is that David was there. He came to L.A. and worked with me. He was in my room every day. You know, so that, that's what was different. Was there a tenor to him that you can convey? Like, was, he, was, there, a, was it, there a nervousness or was there a, 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 was there a difference in him compared to previous episodes? Well, I never spent that much time in the cutting room with him. Okay. I mean, honestly, ever. Okay. I mean, most I had him for a couple of hours. So, okay. uh, so it's I can't really compare. Okay. You know, he's, uh, you know, there there were problems to solve, and you know, he gets he gets pretty intense about that that stuff. And we screened it a bunch of times, and we worked really hard on that episode. Can you share how many different looks you gave the the final sequence? Is there a number? Oh, God, I can't. I, I, I played that over and over and over again. I worked on that a lot, let me put it that way. Okay. A lot. I, I, there's no way to quantify it. I mean, as an editor, you look at stuff over and over and over regardless of what it is. I mean, most sequences were, <laughs> you know, that's our job. The number of times that you see the guy, the man in the members-only jacket, I think it's three. 
Does that have any significance for you? The show, the number three, is a very significant sort of... Again, this is all fan speak here. But of course. The number three comes up all the time in every season. Was there anything to that that you can share? The number three, was he shown three times? Is that I the deal? I think he was shown in three frames. Then you see him walking away. Um, anything there? No, no. I, I basically, you know... I not, had, you're not even going to give me a wink? <laughs> no, I honestly, I mean, to be quite honest, I, you know, I had all the dailies. I yeah. had to cut it to the song. Yeah. Um, I wanted, you know, when you're cutting, you want to tell a story yeah. in terms that makes sense. So I think if he comes and he looks, and, you know, and you want something to happen in the shot. Yeah. You don't, you know, so you have to make, you know, you have to pick a piece where something happens and then you go somewhere else. And then maybe I went back to him and he, he I, I, you know, I can't remember, but I never... I never, first of all, I don't, I've read that people think that these are people from the rest of the series, which they aren't. They're all day players, as far as I know, and uh, there's no particular meaning to anybody. It was just the whole idea is to make it feel sort of that, you know, that Tony's looking around and it's a little bit like, is, you know, is this person safe? Is that person safe? Paranoia. Yeah, but also just the, the to, you know, because it's, they're waiting. Um, so, uh, and you know that you know you're up against the clock as a viewer because it's already been 58 minutes. You're like, what's going to happen? There's only 30 seconds left in the show. Like, right. Well, that's one. As you know, <laughs> it went a little longer. Yeah. You know, my assistant kept saying about the Andy say, people are think their, uh, you know, their DVRs broke, or something, <laughs> which is true. When you when you finished that episode and you yeah. handed it off, did you sense? What was what would happen? The fact that we're sitting here, you no, know, absolutely not. You didn't, you I was, didn't, you I was, didn't say people are going to talk about this one forever. I mean, I honestly, no, I didn't. I mean, maybe I'm short sighted or no, whatever. It's fine. You're, you're, you were you were buried in the work. I you was could, kind of when it aired. I I called David. I said, "Can you believe this?" I mean, it was like the front page of the New York Times. <laughs> it was like every everywhere you look, they were talking about this thing. Um, no, I was kind of surprised. They still are, by the way. The, the I, younger I, generation that watches it, they think their Amazon Prime subscription is broken. Right. Or they think... Oh, really? I yeah, they that. think, like, you know, like, they're streaming it now. You can stream Sopranos. HBO Go. No, I know that. What is wrong with my HBO Go subscription? I mean, it really is... It's it, People that are have read the news or have heard... Have, it's been spoiled for, obviously, no. But it still catches you off guard. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm asking somewhat because again, you were in there. The, your eyes were one of the of the few that saw all the stuff that didn't make it. So it's a privilege to be able to kind of go there down. There wasn't a lot in that scene that didn't make it. That I didn't make say. it. Okay, yeah, there all was right. not a lot in that scene. I can't think of it. There were no bits or alternate alternate things endings. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty much. I I pretty much used everything he shot for that. I mean, obviously, you know, not every part, part of every take, but, you know, if they're, they show the Boy Scouts at the table or something like that, there might, you know, I mean, that each, each chunk was, you know, there weren't other little bits that were left out, to my knowledge, or as I remember. Well, the one, obviously, that everybody wants to, would want to know is, does, does members only come out of the bathroom? <laughs> and I guess we'll never know. Who but knows? It, yeah, who, who knows? knows? I think, I actually, I think he did. There was, a, there was a shot of him coming out of the bathroom. Okay. 
Wow. But but uh, he didn't go pull a gun out and of course and oh, shoot wow. shoot Tony in the head or anything yeah. exciting like that. Well, just... it would have been by the way again the three o'clock. That's one of the biggest theories that is out there still is that Tony always says you or Christopher tells Tony that you need to watch out for for three o'clock. I when he really? when he when he uh, gets shot. And he wakes up in the hospital. He tells Tony and Paulie, um, I had a vision, and Mikey Palmisi and uh, uh, his friend, I forget his friend's name, Brendan Fallone, yeah. said that, uh, t- told me to t- tell you guys to watch out for the number three. Huh. And so that's where the start of this whole thing. And if Tony actually does get shot by a man and members only, it was at his three o'clock. And, it, you know, I see. Okay. And that is one of the prevailing sort of. Well, I know with the onion rings, I kept, I was joking as I was cutting it. I was saying, you know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, you know, as if it was the, just my personal joke to myself yeah, and, no, my, and my assistant. And then I saw it somewhere. Somebody's writing about it and it's like the, the, the Holy Sacrament. And I thought, oh my God, there's nothing you can think of that other people aren't going to think of. No, it's true. Well, yeah. the, 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 it's, but that was, I never even discussed that with Dave. I, I think that's total. it was just totally the way I cut it and yeah. completely arbitrary. Huh. That, you know, I mean, there was no conscious thought of that or, you know, just that they were all having onion rings. Um, fascinating. Thank you. What's coming up next for you? What are you working on now? Getting a job. <laughs> Waiting for a call from my agent. You, of course, uh, were nominated for an Oscar for your work on uh, The Shape of Water. Yes. What was that experience like? Does that, and did that, cha- does that change things as far as your marketability? Like, what is, well, what, I, talk about the Oscar bump. Uh, so far, I haven't seen a big Oscar bump, but maybe there will be. Um, I mean, being nominated was, it's sort of like winning the lottery and then going to, you know, falling down the rabbit hole because the whole world becomes sort of a whirlwind of parties and interviews and all this hype. And then the Oscars themselves are just, oh my God, it's it's unbelievable. You know, walls of photographers and it's just, it's like a, uh, another world. Finally, what's the last good book you read? Last good book I read? Uh, hmm. Just finished a book called Why We Sleep, <laughs> which is a book by a professor in Berkeley uh, about sleep and how important it is. What else have I read recently? Uh, I don't know. I'm in the middle of sort of rereading Middle March, not quite the middle. And I'm reading that book about Hillary losing called Shattered. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what the last book I read was. Uh, I can't remember. I'm reading all the time, but then it's... I can't remember right now. Are you watching anything that you like right now? Yeah, I just watched a series on Amazon Prime called The Informer. Okay. Which I thought was amazing, actually. I think these British crime things... I don't know. They have... They seem to, they seem to have a, uh, a lock on it. Although I did also see a thing on Netflix called Delhi Crime which um, I guess it's directed by a Canadian uh, woman director, and it's based on an uh, incident, I guess a real incident, where a, a woman was gang-raped on a bus and mutilated and died. And it's, it was really interesting. And it was, I guess, shot in Delhi. It, it's, it's a little bit funky. The, the, some of the dubbing is terrible. But it, I thought it, was, it had some really good stuff in it. Sydney, it's been a pleasure. Thank okay, you. Okay, you're welcome.